But the fact is, you know, the, the thing I want to change is I want to be able to to get into that position, get elected on, on, on those values that I represent and, and give that inspiration to the next generation, give that inspiration to young kids who feel actually, you know, someone who not only looks like them, but understands and gets them is in a senior, senior leadership role. And if, you know, if, if, if I can get to this position, anyone can get there. My name is Johnny Ball, and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains, and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations, and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. Up this week in conversation is Police and Crime Commissioner candidate Jay Singh Sahal. Jay is a serving reservist officer and is brimming with enthusiasm. Jay and Johnny navigate their similarities growing up, from the grounding of the cadets to the reservist career packed full of operational experience. The impact of these formative experiences are clear, and it further demonstrates the bond of military service that exists between our diverse communities. It's time for you to meet our guest. Jay, how are you? Absolutely delighted to be able to speak to you on the Veterans in Politics podcast. Good to see you. How th- how's things? Very good and good to see you too. And Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a while since we, we caught up, but it's so good to uh, have a chat with you, uh, certainly on your fantastic podcast. No, well, absolutely. And in fact, I think it was really through the military network that we first met and first became connected and, uh, and it's delighted to be able to pick up and sort of get into a bit more detail about your background today. And I'm just really curious, how on earth did you get involved in politics in the first place? <laughs> Good question. Um, look, politics is always an interest of mine um, ever since I was a young lad. Growing up in inner city Birmingham in, in, in the late 80s, early 90s, always aware of kind of world events and, and, and politics. And, you know, um, I often think of myself as a, as a grandchild of Thatcher because those were the kind of the images I grew up with as a child with um, what was going on and certainly where I'm from uh, in Handsworth, um, feeling some of the, the effects of, uh, you know, poll tax and, and some of those policies. So politics was always something I was highly aware of. Um, my family watched the news regularly, um, but it wasn't anything I felt kind of connected to really. It was always something at a, a bit of a distance. And, and the older I got, the more I kind of got into it, the more I, I tried to read into to politics and watch the news and, and just be on top of world affairs and, and, and domestic affairs, the more I was really interested to, to get involved. But it's, 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 it's one of these things where just, just thinking back to, to my teenage years, you know, for a young Sikh lad growing up in Hansworth in inner city Birmingham, a place which, you know, all my family always voted Labour. Um, purely out of you know duty, there was no sense of you know looking at the policies or, or trying to come objectively to to a decision about where to put their vote. Uh, and it was just taken for granted that I would do the same or I would be of that way um, that way inclined in terms of thinking. But I was always a bit rebellious, always a bit different, and always willing to challenge and ask questions and, and push it. 
but it really came to a fore really during my teens when I decided to study politics to, to understand it a bit more and and try finding out how I could get involved because for me the most important thing was about kind of speaking out for my community my family people like me which I didn't think and certainly at that point enough of it wasn't happening people just weren't speaking out for for you know for for for, for young Punjabi Indian kids like me and my community so that's how I got into it um, but very much a student of politics for a very long time uh, and it's taken about 20 years to, to get to a position where I can you know run as a candidate it's it's so interesting hearing you recall how you first got involved in politics even though clearly we come from a different sort of ethnic and cultural backgrounds um, but I think probably similar working class backgrounds that you come from like myself and just hearing about how you were watching engaging with politics on the tv that just reminds me of sitting down as a kid watching question time with my dad and and you know growing up in the in the 80s myself and and early 90s it just really resonates with that that connection to politics and how you got interested in the first place and there's another thing we've got in common jay um and that's the army reserves <laughs> it is and and, <laughs> and and the best regiment within british army of course as well Yes, so we share a cat badge, uh, but no, tell us a little bit about your military background and and yeah. just think that that's had an impact on your approach to how you want to serve again in public life. Yeah, absolutely has. Um, so we, we're we're both in corps, or I'm certainly warmer in corps. Um, I changed cat badge when I commissioned. Um, and my military career, just thinking about this, actually, you know, it was deliberate. I really, really wanted to have a military career from a young age. Um, and I can get into a bit more detail about why that was, but it kind of happened at, at, a, at a particular point in my life where I wasn't really going anywhere, um, and it gave me direction. So, you know, growing up, like I said, as a, as a, as a young seat lad in, in Birmingham, um, you know, the military ethos is, is intertwined with, with my faith and my community. Growing up, um, you know, I, I was completely aware of you know, seat battles historically and, and the seat contribution. Um, during uh, World War One, World War Two, although it wasn't taught at schools, it was something always that was a bit of a, a revelation, a bit of a discovery, uh, finding out about it from from other people, you know, usually elders or, or by reading books. And I was, was and still am a, a keen reader of, of military history and history generally. Um, and so it was always in the back of my mind that actually, you know, we're a warrior race, and and having that kind of that ethos um, was important. But it, it it kind of only really hit me really uh, as a teen uh, when a friend of mine kind of encouraged me to join the uh, the RAF cadets. I didn't start off in the army. I started off with the RAF cadets, um, and I got into that. Uh, really enjoyed it as a 16, 17 year old. Was encouraged uh, at school as well um, as a, as a really positive at, uh, activity. Uh, got a, a flight navigation scholarship, so went off and learned how to uh, navigate a, um, uh, a Grom Tutor, a light aircraft, and did all that amazing, fantastic stuff, which, you know, was a fantastic, amazing, you know, experience for, for a young teenager. Uh, and it kept me out of trouble, you know, which is even more, more important, you know, thinking about it from, from the PCC perspective. You know, it, it really kept me away from, from, from trouble um, and, and focused me on, on positive stuff. But it, it, it was a bit of a... a it was a bit of a difficult situation where I, I decided I wanted to go into the RAF, I wanted to be an intelligence officer within the RAF and, and, and pursue that. Um, and so when I applied and, and went through um, the process, um, um, it, it wasn't possible to do it. I, I, I was found to have a problem with my eyesight. 
uh, which they said was getting worse. And I was kind of struck off from the RAF. So that kind of put the dampeners on it. And that was it. That was the end of my RAF career there and then. Uh, but it was always niggling in the back of my mind that, you know, um, I, I wanted to serve and I really had that passion to, to you know, live like my four ancestors and forebears and, and, and have that kind of military background. Uh, but it, it didn't happen until much, much later. So I went to university, did my pulse grad, uh, became a trained journalist um, and I was in the newsroom down at Thames Valley, uh, down in Southampton, um, looking at um, kind of just, you know, focusing on my career. And it was the 100th anniversary of the TA some years ago, back in 2007. And I, I kind of made a decision, well, actually, I want to do a, a series on, on 100 years of the TA, the Territorial Army, and, and kind of look at it from that perspective. And as I was kind of making that series and, and producing it and reporting on it, it kind of dawned on me, actually, you know what, if I don't kind of start going towards it now, if I don't kind of make a conscious decision to, to serve, I never am. By that stage, I was about 25, 26. And so I did my application papers, I put them all in, um, and then, you know, events around 2009, as you might remember, with a crash and uh, with the economic situation really kind of changed things. Um, And I was made redundant. So I moved back home to Birmingham, um, kind of set up my own production company, which, you know, kept me busy or tried to keep myself busy with, with, with trying to find work for two years. I was out of a job, really, effectively. Um, And it was always in the back of my mind. So I, I put the paperwork through again. And it took a year, as it always seems to do. It takes a long time to hear that, doesn't it? Um, but I, I, I one day had a call, you know, when I was really, really in a bad place, you know, really down in the dumps, not going anywhere, qualified journalist, living at home, not any steady income coming in and really, really kind of thinking, what on earth am I going to do in my life? And I, I took a phone call um, from from the debt um, in Stabridge, where I'd, I'd applied to, to the intelligence call. Uh, and it was one of those kind of um, crossroad moments, really, that you often think about where, you know, it had taken so long to, to get a response from them. And the, the question was, are you still interested? And I could have easily had said no. You know, could have easily had said, screw it. What's the point? You know, not going anywhere, not doing anything. Really, really fed up, um, really in a bad place. Um, but I, I said yes. And I'm glad I said yes, because that then was that moment of becoming, you know, getting back to, you know, recovering, getting back to uh, motivating myself to, to, to want to do something, you know, find work and, and, and get active, but it took a long time. So I, I, you know, that's where my military career started back in 2009 um, when, I, when I joined 5.5 uh, MI in Stabridge and I attested and I went for basic training in 2010, did off my free uh, trade course in, in, in 2011. Um, and I, I haven't looked back really because those opportunities that have come from being reservist have, have been phenomenal. But it, it was what I needed, that, that kick up the backside at the right moment when I was just absolutely out of it. Um, that's really kind of sustained me. And I think, um, yeah, we can we can talk more about any of that. And I'm happy always to do so. But I think it was just the the sheer opportunity that it gave uh, and the family that it brought, you know, outside of um, my own family within the military circle. Um, and I, I've never ever really talked about it with with my in-core mates or, or yourself or anyone else. But just being in an environment where I was with like-minded people, you know, and, and feeling a part of that kind of community um, really helped me rebuild my life and, and my career as well. 
Um, so it was, um, yeah, going back 12 years and it seems quite, uh, quite a long time, but it's been an amazing journey. So, wow. We are almost on the same trade training course. I, I just did mine before yours. And it's really weird how you listening back to your journey, because I can really resonate with that. Having failed an army medical myself after, uh, during university, even though I'd served before that and even been on tour before that. So the dealing with that setback and then just scratching that itch later on in my life at a time when I too was at a crossroads and uh, we were in the same battalion at that stage as well. So it's really weird that he talked about that. And the one thing that really struck me as well was hearing about your experience of the cadets. I know it gave me such a really good foundation of life and skills and, and values. And, and it was just fun as a kid. It was amazing. And and clearly it's made an impact on your approach to looking at your political career. And you've chosen for that the police and crime commissioner concept, which a lot of people aren't aware of. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about why that's attracted you and what do you think it's a good fit for you? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> again, it, it, it was something I was interested in, you know, heard a little bit about, um, but I, I, I was and still am a, uh, a parliamentary candidate for Conservatives. Um, and we were, I didn't get to run in, in, in 2015 because I was on tour uh, on operations. Uh, 2017 election, um, yeah, I, I wasn't able to run for that, neither. I didn't get a, a seat, which was a massive frustration. And I almost kind of let the party over it. It's just really, really just, you know, fed up of, of continuously campaigning and, and not getting the opportunity to to run so in in 2019 i was candid and honest about it as well in 2019 when if you remember back to then you know Theresa may was pm and we weren't sure where we were going when we were going to have an election um the majority was slim uh politics was looking really really bad in terms of brexit and delivery and all that and and again being fed up of it and wanting to do something within the political realm but not sure what i got asked i, I got asked um Within, within the West Midlands by some really influential people if I was interested. And I kind of looked at it from the perspective of what do I know about policing? Let's be perfectly honest. Um, you know, I'm not a policing expert. I don't have a policing background. I've got a military background and that will come with, with skills and, and, and abilities. But I've got to look at the situation in terms of what I think I can deliver. And as I looked at kind of what policing was like, you know, 2019 and, and it's still more or less the same, hasn't changed it was it was quite dire we we have in the west midlands police stations closing including my local police station here in southern coalfield um, we, we're paying more and more in terms of tax preset yet crime is still going up uh, and there doesn't seem to be any kind of real um ownership over the decisions to get crime down and, and tackle issues like violent crime gang related crime knife crime drugs you know so many issues um and it was those two things police stations and rising crime that i thought that you know, I might not have a policing background. I'm not certainly not the expert, but I think I can make a difference here. And the difference I want to make is is drawn from that kind of public service ethos that I I have from my decade plus of of serving in in, in the army reserves. Um, and I, I took the decision based on that that actually I can make a difference uh, and I can I can do something on this. Um, you know, you know a bit more about my background and and and. And those watching and listening might not, but you know, as a journalist, I'm, I'm very much about kind of telling stories and engaging with communities. Um, but my my vocation at the moment, and uh, in the army as well as in in city street, is is within stratcoms, within strategic communications, and 
what I do best is is achieve an effect and and build um, strategies for for achieving an effect and and, and a desired behavior and desired outcome. And a lot of that I felt actually was really, really useful for what a PCC should be doing um, because, you know, it's, it's about driving crime down, but it's also about kind of not just sticking a, a sticky plaster over it, but getting to the core of why crime is occurring and where we have got victims of crime, which which is which are plenty. It's about how you engage with them and, and give them that reassurance and make, and make sure that their issues are being dealt with. So I felt actually, you know what, I have got some skills and abilities here. And a bit of experience that I can apply to this, and the rest I, I'm sure I can learn as we go along. And I have been doing that. Um, so, so yeah. And I took the decision then in 2019, back in April 2019, to to run for it. Um, and we've had a general election since then, which I didn't get to run in, which because I had this strong commitment to the PCC role and to the people I promised um, to, to to go for it. And I felt that was really important as that kind of that gentlemanly kind of handshake and and to say, look, I'm fully committed to this, and this is what I want to do. But I've, I've never been shy in saying, you know, my aspirations one day are to go into Parliament. But what the PCC role does and what I think is absolutely brilliant about the, the Police and Crime Commissioner position is it's, you know, the role is there to hold the, the chief and the force to account. Um, you manage the budget, you set the budget, but it's the bridge really between, you know, the police force and the community. And it's it's crucial because, of course, in this country, we we police by consent and therefore you know it's important to have a strong leader who can you know sit in the middle of it hold the force to account on behalf of the people but also listen to to people to residents you know try to get to the bottom of their problems and I felt that was you know a really really good powerful empowering position for someone with a strong public service background and as much as you know I, I am a conservative, you know, through and through. I always have been. Um, it's it's a position where I feel, you know, I can do a really strong public duty, which is building on on what I've done in and achieved in the army, and and where we can kind of you know we can strip out some of the politics, and we don't have to be party political about it all the time. And I'm always happy and keen to speak to people from different political backgrounds, persuasions, but it's it's something that's absolutely completely focused on on one objective, which is to drive crime down. And, and so I, I look at it from that kind of Stratcom's objective kind of way of, of, of doing things that I'm you know, so used to, um, of actually, you know, how can we achieve that desired outcome and what do we need to do to get there? And, and that was, yeah, that was kind of really what really got me excited and motivated about it. In the West Midlands, it's very different to, to, to part, other parts of the country where it's, it is, you know, one of the uh, most senior positions in in the region and therefore within the country. Um, it's a role that oversees now a budget of £655 million, so very significant. Um, it's the largest force after the Met. So it comes with quite a lot of um, responsibility and it's looking likely with the consultation that's been going on at the moment that there'll be more powers coming to the PCCs as well. Um, so I think it's it, it, it just absolutely seemed to be the right fit with with what I'm about and, and the kind of things that I want to achieve in life. I think so too, which is probably why it's the longest answer you've given on this podcast. <laughs> it, it's clear that you're passionate about the role and just hearing you talk about your parliamentary aspirations, I'm going to make a little bit of a, uh, a bet here that 
that will soon go away because I think if elected, you'll be so passionate and and so effective in that role that you'll want to do it forever. Uh, that's my little my little punt there. <laughs> I, I, I kind of hope so as well because you know someone said to me at work I was going through um, the appraisal thing that you do and, and someone said to me that you know it's all or nothing with me. You know I'm either 100 percent into something or I'm not at all. There's no middle ground. And I thought, okay, that's really interesting. And I think this is one of those things, you know, I think absolutely I'm, I'm driven towards wanting to achieve something with this role, with the PCC role. Um, I don't see it as a retirement job. I don't want to be doing it, you know, in, in 20 years time, because I think, you know, these sorts of things um, have to, you know, you have to achieve something within a, within a smaller period, a shorter period. Otherwise you become part of the problem. Um, otherwise you're not amenable to change. And so what I want to do and deliver is, is very clear. And, and kind of, you know, when we see horrific crime issues like last week, um, we had a horrific gangland shooting. Um, you know, those sorts of issues really kind of hit me because I feel that, you know, we should be able to do something about it. Where is the response? Where is the leadership? Why is it that we're still having kids, you know, carrying knives and, 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 and drugs is a prevalent issue? Even during lockdown, it seems to be getting worse, these crime issues. And so we need a robust and a, uh, an, an innovative. I always have problems with that word. Uh, we need more innovation to, to tackle some of these problems. And it's got to come from someone who's who's willing to to you know to get into the core of the issue and not you know not shy away from saying what's needed or or doing what's necessary. You're clearly very driven and I'm really I'm gonna be really excited to keep an eye on your journey um as you go into this role. And indeed, I think the more we talk about it, hopefully our listeners will understand that the police and crime commissioner concept is great not just for veterans and reservists. I think it's a really good fit, particularly as you've just um, highlighted in your explanation of it, but actually for wider UK to understand that it's good for us all to engage with this. And hopefully we'll see that in, in the coming weeks and months, but also, and just struck by listening to you about, about your desire to really change things in your community, but are there, is there something you really hope to change in this role? A big ticket. Yeah. Ticket. Yeah, look, you know, growing up, I didn't have anyone to look up to as, as as a senior aspiring leader within my community, with my kind of background. And a lot of the issues that we see, um, certainly within the inner cities, but, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, BAME, I don't like using the word, but black and Asian minority ethnic people, non-white people, uh, if you like, you know, it's always said that, you know, there's a glass ceiling and there's never enough role models. And, and I had that, you know, my role models growing up, were, were, you know, I had Sikh role models, I had Indian role models, I had British role models. Um, but, you know, was there ever anyone that I could look up to and say, I want to be like that person up there? Um, I probably should have answered that question myself on this podcast because people might, might be quite surprised uh, by my answer. But the fact is, you know, the, the thing I want to change is I want to be able to, to get into that position, get elected on, on, on those values that I represent and, and give that inspiration to the next generation give that inspiration to young kids who feel actually, you know, someone who not only looks like them, but understands and gets them is in a senior, senior leadership role. And if, you know, if, if, if I can get to this position, anyone can get there. You know, it's, 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 it's as simple as that. You know, I, I, yeah, you know, I've had plenty of difficulties, you know, through schooling. Um, I failed my A-levels, for example, but that didn't stop me. Uh, I persevered and I was quite pushy with, with with getting through uni and looking for opportunities. But, you know, bloody hell, if I could get to a role where I could be a cadet, oh, sorry, not a cadet, a candidate, and I can, you know, be pushing at uh, being an aspiring PCC, anyone can do it. 
because I know there are people that are a lot more clever, a lot more capable than, than I am. Um, and that's what I want to do. That's what I want to deliver. I want to give people that chance to see that actually, you know, there is someone that looks like them and, 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 and talks like them um, and, and thinks like them and, and they've been able to make it and, and what's stopping them. I think that's a really good, important point around role models. And indeed, like you say, it's not just Bain communities that you're going to connect to. We've just demonstrated in this conversation, the common analysis that you and I have come from different backgrounds, but we've got loads in common. And certainly you, if I was to look up to someone as something in politics to aspire to, you know, look at your journey and learn from, then I would be looking towards you because we've got so much in common. And indeed, that's what we're trying to achieve with this podcast is by telling these stories, highlighting them to the community that the commonality you will have with the armed forces community would inspire to. And there will be people listening today who will think, oh, you know, there's a question I really want to ask Jay. Uh, but going back the other way, what would be a piece of advice that you might give to our listeners uh, looking to stand up and serve again in politics? Yeah, the, 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 the advice I would give to our veterans and serving um, personnel is, is the advice I would always give to to anyone, which is just get out of your comfort zone. And it's it's an it's it's a it's a bit more straightforward and I think a bit more simpler for those who serve because we're used to being out of that comfort zone. You know, we used to be out in in muddy, rainy fields and 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 in all sorts of shit, if I can use that word on this. Um, get out of your comfort zone. Um, I think it's 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 true, it's a testament to my career and and, and my experiences that had I not got out of my comfort zone you know i wouldn't i would not have done nearly half of the stuff i've been able to do in in my civilian career or, or my military career you know i was the first in my family to go to a grammar school um the first to go to university the first to join the army of course the first to go to television television journalism you know the first turban wearing seek in a, in a in a mainstream newsroom um the first ever wearing seek in the ink core <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which was hilarious when um when it came to getting a, a cypress green turban <laughs> um you know and 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 yeah it all came down to the fact that you know i i really had to push myself to get out of my comfort zone and even now you know i feel comfortable doing and saying and thinking the way i am and i always have to keep reminding myself about this guy here um Ord wingate and 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 to kind of think outside of the box get out of my comfort zone you know be unconventional maybe not eat onions like he used to raw, but um, just, just do different stuff and just think outside of the, the norm because that's where innovation, that's where creativity, that's where, you know, success comes from. If you just keep doing the same thing again and again, like everyone else, yeah, fine, you might get somewhere, but you're not going to get nearly as far as, as if you just do something different without upsetting people, of course. I've probably upset quite a lot of people on my journey. And I've probably cared too much that I've upset people during that that journey. But I think, yeah, the the, the advice I'd always give is just, you know, get outside of, of your comfort zone and just keep pushing. Thanks, Jay. That's amazing advice. So get out of your comfort zone, but don't eat onions. Don't eat onions at all. <laughs> Well, raw ones anyway. Thanks, Jay. I think we'll leave it there. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you and, and good luck. Cheers. Really appreciate it. And thank you for everything that you do as well. You're doing an amazing job. No, pleasure. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you.